what's up everyone? Welcome back to the Sports Mill Podcast. We've got another great episode for you today. We're going to be talking about the college football coaching carousel, and then we're going to be leading into how that directly affects the best teams we're going to be seeing in the coming years, and also the teams that we're seeing now pushing for the playoff. And me and Soli are going to give you uh, what to expect going forward, especially who the four are going to be after this weekend in the playoff, and can anybody stop the number one team in the country, Georgia. And then we're going to close with some thoughts about the NBA season early on. So, Celia, as I as I bring you in, there's been a lot of things happening in the college football world. Not only are we navigating getting to the end of the season because you know it's playoff time, so a lot of you know a lot of focus is going on to what actually is happening on the field. But then we're seeing more happen off the field. What is happening with these coaches, and not just with teams that are already out of it, uh, but with teams that are still in serious contention. But I want to start with. Uh, your team, and that is the Florida Gators, because um, they made the move after a six and six year uh, to fire Dan Mullen. And, um, you know, I, and I wouldn't say it was probably a shock uh, for that to happen, but, you know, still a big move that I think Florida would have ideally not moved on this early from Dan Mullen. So I guess the question I have for you is one, are you surprised that it happened this early? Or, and then are you happy with the move? And then we'll get into talking about um, who they hired after that. So if you, if you had told me going into this year that Mullen would have been fired, then yeah, I would have thought you were crazy. They, I mean, they were off three New Year's Six Bowl appearances in a row. Felt like they were continuing to develop their offense to adapt to the players that they had each year. So when Mullen's play calling didn't ever feel like a problem, the, the strengths he had continued to show. But as we got into this season, more the weaknesses that he potentially had all showed up at the exact same time. He's pretty pushy with the media, which obviously when you're losing is going to rear its head more. He has not recruited very well the past couple of years, and especially this year, their recruiting class was somewhere in the 30s, which for Florida is just inexcusable. Like you, you should not be outside the top 20, much less top 15, top 10 when you're in that area and you're that good of a coach. And with all of that, it felt like the locker room was lost pretty quickly as the season went on. It felt like a lot of guys were unhappy with the coaching staff, whether that be Mullen or some of the assistants that he was stubborn enough to keep on staff. So as the season went on, it really did not surprise me that he was gone, especially the, the Sanford game, even with it ended up being a win. That that I've heard reports that after the first half, it was pretty much done that he was going to be fired at that point and that it really didn't matter what happened in the Missouri or the Florida State games at that point afterward. And so I, I think the decision was made at that point. Like if we're giving up 52 points to Sanford, that's that's inexcusable. That can't happen at Florida. And I think Napier is partially a reflection of trying to fix some of the weaknesses of the program that Mullen has left behind because every, Napier is really regarded as a program builder. He's a culture guy. He's a great recruiter. And I think Florida has looked across at their rival with Georgia and figured out if we don't recruit at a top five level, we're not good enough. Because this year, Mullen has often, and maybe this is ego, maybe this is just his belief in his team. I think in the past he has thought, I can take worse teams and with my play calling and my coaching ability, I can beat better teams. And I think he's been able to do that some in the past with Mississippi State. And like, I don't think anyone would say they were maybe the most talented team. And, and even with Florida, they've overachieved some years. But I think that arrogance has led to a lack of emphasis on recruiting. And 
in turn, they get out on the field and Georgia has the better player at every single position. And that's what they're trying to fix. Napier's going to come in and recruit um, really hard. He's already talking to many recruits that have um, that were committed before. He's trying to bring those, keep those guys on and bring new guys in as well. So I, I think he, to me, is the most obvious hire out of all these that we're going to talk about. Like, it makes the most sense to me. He is an up-and-coming coach, program builder. He, he fits what Florida is looking for. Um, some of these other ones that we're getting into are a little more out of the blue, but this one felt like the most natural fit. Strickland was this was Strickland, the Florida's athletic director. This was his number one option the entire time. Um, after the interview, he said it was basically done deal that, that he knew this was the guy he wanted. Yeah, um, I mean, going off what you said a little bit, from an outsider looking in, I definitely think that this was the time to let Mullen go because he's had a couple years um, to really see where he could take the program and. I mean, let's be honest, it, it's kind of stalled out and gotten worse. And even last year when they had you know, a record-breaking offense, it didn't really ever feel like they had a chance to win um, any, the national championship, even though they almost did beat Bama in the SEC championship game. And so I think, you know, like you said, the biggest thing with him is he has all the talent in the world on the roster, but yet the culture is not there. And so, you know, you can – hire somebody else to come get the talent like that that's not going to be a problem at Florida or at least it shouldn't be and so uh, you mentioned Billy Napier is who they have decided to hire and it seems like you know it's a completely different type of shift as far as coaching style and you I may mean, you'll probably know about it more than I do I know he was on Alabama staff a couple years back but um, I saw something a report about how you know he's just a really good as you mentioned culture building guy and he cares more about developing relationships instead of necessarily thinking he's the smartest guy in the room and that seemed to kind of be Mullen's mentality is that he cared more about um, kind of outsmarting the opponent and being uh, the one who, who kind of knew more than everybody else and sometimes that's not really what wins the games because you can know more you can have a better game plan but yet at the end of the day your players have to go execute it and they have to believe in your system and I think especially this year when things went downhill fast Dan Mullen is just not the type of personality that you really want leading a team and he kind of reminds me I mean obviously he's kind of uh this person has kind of broken the mold this year but he kind of reminds me of like a Lane Kiffin where he he has a great offensive mind, but yet he's just got that personality that you kind of cringe at if you're an athletic director hiring a head coach. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing to me is that I I don't think anyone looks at him as a play caller any worse after this season. Like yeah, I think a lot of their offensive struggles were because Embry Jones kept throwing interceptions or they didn't have the talent to match up with some of the better teams. Like I I I think. He, by no means is he a perfect play caller, but his strength is still there. It's just that those other factors, like you've mentioned, have prevented him from being able to succeed. And I think Florida really looked at it as we have – so Mullen's contract, the way it worked was no matter when he was fired, he had a $12 million buyout. So a lot of those contracts are set up in a way where the buyout decreases over time so that they're incentivized to keep the coach on for longer. But that, that was not the case with Florida's. It just happened to be set up in a way where it didn't really matter when he was fired. They were going to have to pay the $12 million buyout. So that was already a given. You were going to have to pay it regardless. And then I really do think the trajectory of the program was looked at in this sense of, yes, they've been good for the past three years, but I'm not sure this 
fix is a one-year fix. This might be a two- or three-year fix. And are you really wanting, after having three good years with a coach, to then have them take you through a full rebuild that is likely their fault that they're in in the first place? Like that, that seems like something at a program like Florida that is not – you're not going to want to do that because you know there's plenty of other good candidates that you can go out and get. And it sounds like Strickland really liked Napier um, – even before they knew Mullen was going to be fired, it sounds like he was reaching out and trying to figure out what was um, what was going on there, if he would be interested in coming to Florida. Because Napier also, and this is encouraging to me as a Florida fan, he has turned down other jobs in the past because he wasn't able to get the money for his staff. He wasn't impressed enough with the facility. So it really does seem like he has been he's been particular about making sure that the job he takes is one that he believes he can succeed in and that has the resources to support what he wants to do. Um, so that's encouraging to me, just that Florida's athletic department was able to meet those standards and he feels like he can build a successful program here. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the last thing why I talk about Florida is, you know, how, how quickly um, or at all do you think, I mean, do you think Napier can build uh, a national championship winning team at Florida? I think he can. I think, I don't know. The head coaching stuff with guys like this is so hard to predict what's going to happen just because we've never seen him coach a team in a power conference. Like, I think I, I would say yes, just because especially I think the biggest X factor in all of this rebuild is Anthony Richardson because having him – come in and ho well, hopefully be your starter. I hope Napier you're smart enough to see that part is a huge jump start because I think he can carry an offense enough in his first few years that they may, their record might be better than their talent actually reflects because they have one elite talent on the field at quarterback. I think that will jumpstart the rebuild a lot. I think players are going to want to play with him. Um, recruiting on the offensive side of the ball should go pretty well. Napier was a wide receivers coach at Alabama and he's an offensive guy. So I do think the rebuild can be jump-started pretty quickly, especially because of where Florida State and Miami are. I think people still look at Florida as the best program in that state, regardless of how they perform this year. So as long as they can start to recruit even close to the level of Georgia and Alabama, I think the rebuild won't last too long. Um, the problem is if they stay in the 30s or 20s in recruiting, then what are you going to do? You just don't have the talent. So that's he's got to come in and recruit well, and that's what he's there to do. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good hire overall because, like you said, this is a is a culture change, not a necessarily, you know, we're trying to get a guy who can figure it out X's and O's because Dan Mullen had that downs. But overall, you know, like you said, it, it seems like a good fit, and we'll see how it works out. And it was definitely the most predictable hire, um, which getting into these next couple ones, um, you can't say that much because it's really been a, a wild week as far as, what we thought coming into the playoff time and then what we're, we've gotten now. Um, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about just the landscape overall here of coaching because to get on my soapbox for a minute, it's just, it's, it's insane to me how fast things move this time of year when it comes to coaching. And I want to say to all the fans out there that especially now realize I've told some people this recently, but, um, Realizing how um, coaches move these days, I don't have a problem anymore really with players transferring because we talk about how much like coaches come in and they build a culture. Like we just talked about, Billy Napier is going to come in, hopefully, and change Florida's culture. And these 
coaches promise so much to their players, you know, that I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to build a relationship, blah, 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 blah. We're going to win a national championship. And then you leave when your team has a potential chance to play in a college football playoff and you're gone. And not only are you gone, but you're gone to another big time program. And, um, it's just amazing. It doesn't even feel like real life when a coach does that, honestly. Like, like they just up and leave. One day they're coaching these these players at a, a great program, and the next day their money's coming from somewhere else. And it really just shows you that there's not a lot of loyalty anymore anywhere. I mean, let, let's be honest. So I really don't have a problem with these players transferring. That's kind of a different issue. But um, I guess to, to get into specifically what we're talking about, obviously – uh, Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma has decided to take the USC job. And then shortly after that, um, Brian Kelly from Notre Dame has decided, uh, to take the LSU job. Um, and so before we get into, I guess, talking about their specific situations and how we think they're going to do, um, you know, this is the first time in my lifetime, I think so like, like you said, Billy Napier is a guy who you could see coming for Florida. He was a good fit. He was an up-and-comer at a smaller school, and it, the jump was kind of just easy to see. Florida's a struggling program. Let's jump to uh, from Louisiana to there. But what really gets me at these other jobs is we've never seen two coaches leave big-time programs like this. I've never seen in my 20 years of life. Um, Oklahoma and Notre Dame are two of the top 10 teams in the country right now. And yet their coaches left for other big jobs. And it's not necessarily, a, you can say, a vertical move. It's, I mean, you, some can portray it as that, but at best right now, they're lateral moves. And so I guess, um, you know, I don't even know what to ask, but how do you look at stuff like that and, and the way that coaches are moving across the landscape right now? So, yeah, I think the first thing I want to address is kind of what you talked about at the beginning, which is the way in which they moved. Because, like you mentioned, the seasons are not over. Notre Dame has a real chance to make the playoff um, this weekend. I saw the ESPN predictor had them at over 50% to have with a chance to make the playoff. That That's kind of ridiculous that a coach would leave in that situation. But the reason that that is the case is not because Lincoln Riley is a snake or Brian Kelly is a bad person, even though Brian Kelly might be a bad person from some of the reports that have come out of Notre Dame. It's, it's because the early signing day is December 15th and teams are hiring coaches and they don't want the first recruiting class to be horrible. So if you want to hire a coach and you don't want your first recruiting class to be bad, then you've got to sign him within the next 13 days. And so they have no other option other than to accept these jobs. If they do decide that that opportunity is best for them. Now, maybe you could argue that, they should be happy where they're at. And I agree, but if Lincoln Riley's getting offered $110 million, USC's buying both his houses in Oklahoma, he has a $6 million home being given to him by the university in LA and then also using a private jet. I think it's pretty unrealistic to say that any of us would decline that opportunity if it was given to us. And I, I think it really has more to say about the structure of the sport than it does um, the, the loyalty of these coaches. I think Kelly has... I think Kelly's a little different. He's kind of been known to just pack up and leave whenever he feels like it from, I think, Central Michigan and then Cincinnati before Notre Dame. Riley to me, and maybe I'm just a sheep for listening to his interviews and actually believing him, but it does really seem like he still has an emotional connection to Oklahoma. He, It feels like he 
had declined a lot of other offers. I, I think it's the reports are true that he declined other NFL offers and other college offers as well before this, and he just saw this as an opportunity he couldn't pass up. So talking about the Riley deal specifically at first, I think this USC is going to make the playoff in about two or three years. Like they are already getting all the Oklahoma recruits. They're basically stealing Oklahoma's entire top five class from this year. We've seen multiple five-star like running backs, quarterbacks, receivers already decommit and are expected either have committed or are expected to commit to USC. And the biggest thing that this means for USC is that they are going to be good on offense for the rest of the time Riley's there. Because if you look at some of the quarterbacks that have come from these, from California, some of the best teams, Ohio State, CJ Stroud, he's from Southern California. Bryce Young, he's from Southern California. We've seen the, the number two recruit in the 2023 class is from Southern California. DJ Uyunglele is from Southern California. So all of, not all of those guys are obviously going to go to USC, but there will be a few guys that they do not like get out of that town. And so to me, that's the biggest jump. He's bringing along Alex Grinch, who's a good defensive coordinator, in my opinion. I think he's solidified Oklahoma's defense a little bit in the past few years. So with how bad the Pac-12 is, it's going to be a pretty easy road for USC to get through there. I think this is a team that we're going to see make the playoffs pretty soon. I'm, I have a question for you. Do you think Riley was scared of the SEC? Because I've heard that a lot from people, and I don't know if it's them just wanting to be mad at him for leaving or if that's actually a big factor that he considered. I think he probably did think about the fact that the path was easier at USC to make the playoffs. But I think that may be, say more about the recruiting based in Southern California and how terrible the Pac-12 is than him being, quote-unquote, scared of the SEC. But I'm curious as to what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, let's um, – it's simple to me. People could say he's scared of the SEC, and he might be. But if you're wanting to succeed in life for anybody in a job, you're going to go to the place that allows you the best chance to succeed. <laughs> and for all the reasons that you just mentioned, I think that, you know, for a while I, I sat down after the Lincoln Riley news and was like, man, that that seems kind of like he's at Oklahoma where he has the talent and they're making the playoff. Like it's not um, like he's not having the ability to give himself a chance to win, you know, national championships, even though they haven't. But like you said, this is not to me a thing of, oh, is he scared of the SEC? It's, I have a chance to go to USC, which is in California, Los Angeles. I mean, it's universally known. People want to live there. And not only that, but you're going to a place where, like you said, the talent is amazing. And you're going to give yourself a chance to recruit exactly the people you want. Like, he is an offensive mind. And we haven't even, you know, every it's universally known that you go and play quarterback for Lincoln Riley and you're going to be a good quarterback. So why would he not go to the place where so many quarterbacks are being produced and and try to, you know, create a program there? But like you said, I think the big thing here is it's not about being scared about the SEC. It's about the Pac-12 is weak. USC has history. They have culture. I can recruit there. I'm a great offensive mind. And it's going to be really easy for me, I think, like you said, to get them back on track. And so you can say he's scared, but guess what? It's a smart move because... He sees the writing on the wall. He's a young guy, and I don't want to be locked into coaching in the SEC during my prime years and be struggling to make the playoff when I know I can go to the Pac-12, and because it's still a weak conference right now, 
I'm going to have a chance year in and year out if if we play like I know that my other teams have played, that we're going to make the playoff. So I think it's as simple as that. Like it's, um, it's a smart move on Lincoln Riley's part, whether or not he's scared of the SEC. Yeah, I think – I just don't think that head coaches that are making – 70 million dollars are scared of really anything like we just talked about dan mullen's ego like i i don't think there's a bone in lincoln riley, riley's body that doesn't think he can go coach anywhere and not still make the playoff like i think he believe i think every coach believes that they can do that and so i agree i think maybe he was strategic about it and thought this is my best opportunity i see an opening in recruiting out here that is right now those guys are being stolen by ohio state and alabama and clemson and all those other big schools more on the eastern side of the United States I think he does see an opportunity there but I think it's more about the opportunity he sees and less about running from whatever else he was facing at Oklahoma but yeah I've seen a lot of very angry Oklahoma fans which I completely understand but when you've been at the top this is what this is what those schools do they steal coaches from other places so it's I, I don't think that these fans really have the right to be very upset because they've done this for years. But Oklahoma hasn't had a head coach leave for since 1947. A head coach has not left and accepted another job since 1947. That just doesn't happen in Oklahoma. So I certainly understand why the fans are surprised and um, a little bit upset at what's what's been happening. Yeah, I think it, and why people are struggling with it so much is that because Lincoln Riley, normally as a coach, you leave a position where you are to advance to somewhere greater. And Billy Napier is the perfect example of that. He's obviously never going to succeed like he can at Florida, at Louisiana Lafayette. But for Oklahoma fans, it's perceived as we're winning right now. Like we're, we're uh, you know, a Spencer Rattler actually being good away from having a chance at a playoff this year again. And so they're in their eyes, they're saying, why would you leave to go to USC where they're, right now not even in you know playoff contention but it's for the reasons we mentioned you know number one recruiting and and because he's out there in LA but just think about the branding this gives Lincoln Riley he's away from the SEC and I will say I think that played a factor like I, I'm not and it's not about being scared it's saying I can go out west and brand myself at USC where I'm not going to be compared to Alabama out there and the east teams because I'm in the Pac-12 like there's a whole different world between the West and the East. And so, you know, completely different time zones when they play. They're, I mean, so it's just different. So why would he not go out there and be seen as a completely separate entity, not have to be compared to all these other all these other teams? Uh, the Big 12 is dying anyways. And so um, even though it looks like a downward move as far as where they are right now, and, you know, we shouldn't necessarily expect, like you said, a playoff appearance next year, but it could come pretty quickly. And so overall, I think Lincoln Riley, like you said, he was pretty strategic about this move as far as it's something that he feels like he couldn't pass up. And overall, I mean, if you're a USC, you're obviously, I mean, you have to feel like you hit the lottery. But even for Lincoln Riley, I think this really gives him a chance uh, that if he's looking to kind of become a Nick Saban type figure, he has a better chance at USC than he does at Oklahoma. Yeah. I definitely agree. A couple a couple things I'll add before we move on to Brian Kelly is I think looking at the immediate success they have, like just looking at their schedule next year, the good teams, quote unquote good teams, I guess they play are 
Notre Dame, and then they play – that's the only good out-of-conference team they play. They play a full Pac-12 schedule, obviously. Utah is the best team they play in their conference. They have UCLA, um, Arizona State, all those other teams in the conference. But they could go – they could go undefeated next year. Like, if Notre Dame is not having a little bit of a down year after Kelly leaves, he brings in talent. Say Caleb Williams transfers to USC. Like, I, I'm not saying they will go undefeated. I think it will take a few years for them, especially in the trenches, to recruit offensive linemen – um, I saw something the other day saying they don't have an offensive lineman on their roster that is look, looked at as like a good NFL draft prospect. Um, that's a problem at USC. You should never have that happen with the level you should be recruiting at there. So I think it will take a little bit to develop that offensive line and defensive line. Um, it's a little easier to recruit the skill guys in California than it is the big guys. But that that is a doable schedule. You can get through that. And even if it's with one loss, like say you lose to Notre Dame and you go undefeated in conference, you're going to be right in that four, five, six spot come playoff time if Notre Dame has a good year. That's they're they're going to be poised to succeed pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you know we talked about that a good bit, and that wasn't the only move that came this week. And and I did kind of talk about it, you know, really quickly. But once again, just the it's insane to me how these players get told that, you know, we're here, I'm here, you know, whether they sit in living rooms, the coaches tell I'm here to build a relationship with your son and we're going to make it to the playoff. And especially in this team's case, Notre Dame, like you said, is on the cusp of the playoff. And then they find out, um, you know, here at the end of the season that their coach is going to LSU and just a really weird situation uh, as far as what are they going to do if they make the playoff and their coach has already left to go uh, to LSU. And it's just it overall, just in general, just a really weird situation to me. How, I mean, what are these players supposed to think when midseason and they're at the goal? Like there's nothing more that you can have success-wise than making the playoff and yet your coach just leaves you. And obviously the writing has been on the wall for Brian Kelly, I think. Like it, it's kind of he's kind of outlived his time. Um but just such an interesting um situation and time to do it, I guess for him. You could say the same thing about Lincoln Riley because if they beat Oklahoma State, then they probably have a chance too. And I think he probably still takes the job. But I guess, you know, what do you what do you think about the Brian Kelly decision to go to LSU? Yeah, I think it's this is to me the most interesting one for a multitude of reasons. Um, but first, yeah, I think it's funny also to hear the same fans, the same fans that hate Notre Dame that have been saying for a decade that Brian Kelly is overrated. Notre Dame's always overrated and they will never be good enough to win a playoff game. Even if their schedule allows them to get in the playoff, then just completely hate on Brian Kelly for leaving a team that they would argue has no chance to win in the playoff anyway. So I think you kind of have to pick one there. Like if you think Notre Dame is, a good program really good this year, then I do understand why you would be upset that he would leave a chance at a playoff opportunity. I think you could potentially manage announcing you're going to leave to LSU, but still saying you're going to finish the season now. I think that is something that while maybe not is the easiest thing to do, I think you probably should do that as a head coach to at least, I think the playoff is probably the only exception I would make to that. Whereas if you are not making a playoff, I think you immediately need to go start recruiting. Like Riley, I, I have no problem with him leaving immediately. Like he needs to go start getting his guys. But I do think probably a playoff is the one time I would say you might have an obligation to finish that out. Um, for the same reason that we, I think when we look at guys that sit out bowl games now, 
I don't really think very many people have a problem with a guy that sits out the outback bowl to prevent themselves from getting injured and start training for the draft. But I think if we started to see guys that were playing in a playoff game start to do that, we would question their competitiveness a little bit. And I think that's pretty fair to do with Brian Kelly as well. Um, the, to me, the, the connection between the LSU job and the Florida job is going to be something that's very interesting to follow because as Kelly was starting to float his name out there for other rumors, he, he contacted Florida as Florida had already talked to Napier and Florida said, no, thank you. We've got our guy. And it was also known that Napier was interested in the LSU job. But because of the way the state works in Louisiana with a lot of the political um, landscape in terms of football there, it would have been looked at as a weak hire to go hire a guy at Louisiana Lafayette to coach LSU. Because to me, I think a lot of people in that state look at it as we're so much better than them. We can't, we can't admit that our guy is right there at Louisiana Lafayette. I think that's a dumb way to look at it. And I think that might come back to hurt them. But both of these schools, Florida and LSU, declined to look at the other coach. And especially in LSU's case, Napier made it clear he wanted the LSU job. He's recruited in Louisiana. He, his strength is obviously recruiting. He, I think he thought he could have built a really strong program at LSU as well. And so if Brian Kelly comes in at over the age of 60, I don't know how he fits there. Like he's a he's from Boston. He's been in Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Central Michigan. Like that, he has never been down here and recruited in SEC country. And I think he's a really good coach. Don't get me wrong, but this fit is really weird. We know how the LSU job works. Where if in three years you don't win, you're out the door. I'm I'm curious to see how this will work out, especially relative to Florida's hire of Napier, because I think LSU is taking a really big risk here. And in five years, if Kelly doesn't work out, he's already going to be 66 years old. So you're not looking at a long rebuild with this. This is a quick turnaround. He's going to have to bring in some guys quickly. I don't know how this works out with the fit. He doesn't feel like a guy from Louisiana. So I'm really interested to see how this one turns out, especially with the other options they were looking at. Yeah, and just just to be clear, like as far as Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame situation goes, I don't think that they had any chance in the playoff. And so for Brian Kelly, I don't blame him at all for wanting to get out because he's seen this movie, what, three times now? You know, they're good enough to barely squeak into the playoff and then they just get their doors blown off. And he knows this team is not that good. If you've watched Notre Dame at all this year, then you know, uh, I mean, Cincinnati's better than them. So he knew that there was no chance they were actually going to, you know, have a chance at winning. But I think I, I just to go back really quickly, it's still just I guess a uncomfortable, weird situation when, as a coach, you just leave your players in playoff time, that regardless of whether or not you have a chance or not. It's just that's just such a weird situation. But anyways, now moving on to the LSU job, um, like you said, it's going to be interesting to see if he even moves the needle at LSU because he's a good coach. I've heard so many things be like he's won everywhere he's been. Like, you know, he he's built every program into a into a winning program. And my response to that would be he had 12 years at Notre Dame. Like he gets to pick his schedule. So, I don't know. I I don't really put a whole lot of stock into that. Like it, it was kind of tailor-made situation for him and he did a good job at Notre Dame, no doubt. But that doesn't mean he's going to have success in the SEC, and especially because of where he is, like you said, in LSU. Because, you know, if you've been on social media at all, you've seen all the jokes about Brian Kelly, you know, getting introduced to Louisiana culture. Yeah. But it's he is not the type of guy. 
he's a very honestly Notre Dame guy. You know, I don't want to make too much about his comment or personality, but kind of this, um, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know how to say it, entitled white guy kind of vibe. And then that just doesn't seem to be the type of culture fit at LSU. And so it's one thing to be a good coach and to have the best talent. And I think he still will do okay as far as getting talent in there, recruiting. But then, like, you don't – he just doesn't seem like the type of guy to inspire a lot of confidence in his players at a job like LSU. Yeah, I think, to me, this is one of those jobs where the coach is trying to find out how good they are. Like, I think you can make yeah. an argument Notre Dame – is a hard place to succeed at the highest level at because of the academic standards that are put on that school relative to a lot of other ones. Like they are limited in some of the guys they can go out and recruit because they have to have guys that have succeeded in the classroom a little bit more than some of the other schools. And it's not in some great warm college town. Like you got to convince guys to come to Notre Dame. And they've recruited offensive line really, really well. They offensive line and tight ends, they, they recruit as well as anyone in the country, as well as anyone in the country there. And I think what Kelly wants to find out is, has Notre Dame been limiting me in my ability to get some of the top end recruits? And if I go to a program that is regarded as one of the programs that you can take and flip into a championship contender immediately, can I actually do that? And I think this is what I think, obviously, 10 years, $95 million, that's going to get you out the door regardless. But I do think he looks at this as an opportunity to finally be on an even playing field with some of the guys that have beaten him up in the past, like Saban or Dabo, where he gets the playoff and then it's clear they don't have the same talent. It doesn't matter how well you coach. He had no chance in those games. So I think he really wanted an opportunity to say, okay, now we're even. Now I have the same talent you do. Now let's see what happens. And maybe it doesn't work, but I think he wanted that opportunity to at least find out. Yeah. And, you know, as we'll, we'll, we'll get ready to close out our coaching segment here, but, um, you know, the last question I have is, you know, who was the best hire? And I'll go ahead and answer this from two different perspectives. Because from, to me, the, the coaching side of things, or sorry, from the organization side of things, like which team, which uh, university, sorry, hired the best fit and should be the most ecstatic, I'm going to say USC. They got Lincoln Riley. He can turn their program around immediately. We already said that. But as far as what is the best hire for the coach, to me, Brian Kelly won here because Brian Kelly gets to go to LSU where, I mean, it's, it's the farthest thing away from Notre Dame, like you just said, as far as recruiting. Like, he has everything now in front of him as far as winning a national championship. In fact, you know, it's been a statistic that I've heard floated around. The last three coaches have all won national championships at LSU. So, like, you know, for him, that's got to feel like um, – he made the greatest move ever because now he's in the SEC. He's going to get seen a lot more. He has a conference championship. He has the talent, blah, 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 blah. The list goes on and on. And so as far as opportunity, I feel like it's exactly like you said. Brian Kelly knows that he's never going to be at the top of the sport really at Notre Dame. And so in order to do that, he needed to move to somewhere like LSU. And so I applaud him for trying to do that. But for all the reasons we mentioned, it's just – an odd fit, especially coming off the back of someone like Coach O. And now, character-wise, they're probably pretty close, actually. Like, yeah. <laughs> they don't seem to. They seem to have some some character issues that are pretty similar. But as far as personality-wise, um, very different people. 
Yeah, I think if you were asking like what the best hire is, I think the answer has to be USC just because of where they are right now and how much yeah. that changed the day they hired him. And right now they're four and seven. They just lost to UCLA by almost 30. That's, that, that is supposed to be their game at the end of the year that they look forward to and say, we're going to pound this other team that's in our city. And, and UCLA is better than them right now. I, I think immediately now with Riley there, you're, you're looked at so much differently. Whereas LSU, I think, regardless of who was hired there, you know, okay, they've got the talent. They, they have a lot of good recruits coming in. May, the coach does still make a difference, obviously, but he, you were going to get good results at LSU if you hire a somewhat decent coach to go and recruit guys, put the talent on the field. USC was in a rut. Like this was obviously a program that's supposed to be on that level, but they haven't been. And so to get a guy as good as Riley and skip all the middle steps of progressing as a program, like you went from a bad program now to one of the best programs in a day because of one signing you made. So I think I look at that as just such a change in where the program was and how I view them in my head. Like I haven't thought about USC as a good team and what, since they played that Rose Bowl with Darnold against Saquon that year against Penn State, like that's the last time. So they, they immediately jumped back into relevancy. I think that's the best hire. I think, Napier is the one that makes the most sense for both sides, in my opinion. Um, I'm definitely excited about him as a Florida fan. I've heard very positive things from pretty much anyone who's ever been around him and the reports. Like everyone seems like they really like him. He's a good coach. Um, but Riley is going to make the most immediate impact. Yeah. Um, you're right. I mean, to me, it's obvious that USC and Lincoln Riley – seem to be the most tailor-made situation for each other. And it's kind of unfair to Billy Napier because he just doesn't have the same pedigree these other two have. And I think he could be a potentially great hire. And sometimes the hire that's not as sexy ends up being the better hire. And I think, you know, it, it could work out for Florida that way uh, as well. All right, we'll move away from the coaching uh, carousel. Just such an interesting topic every year, but especially this year with, like we said, the way that I've never seen this level of coaches at these already big programs move to other big big time programs. Um, but we'll get back into talking about the college football playoff and the teams that actually still have a chance. And we've talked about it a lot, um, but I do want to talk about kind of the path that we're on this weekend because there's a lot of confusion, I guess, still about who's really going to be in. And to me, it's not that... Um, it can get convoluted. There, there are some scenarios that can happen where the committee is going to have some decisions. But to me, the path is not as unclear as it really is. And so I'll ask this to you. Um, if Georgia beats Bama this week, they're in, obviously. I think Michigan's going to beat Iowa, although I said Ohio State was going to beat Michigan last week. But yeah. I think Michigan's going to beat Iowa. If Cincinnati wins, they're in. And then if Oklahoma State wins, they're in. And I think those are the four. And then if Bama wins and everybody else takes care of business, like I just said, I think the four remains the same. So do you think it's that simple as well? Yeah, I, I do. I think where you get into some problems is when some of those other teams, like if Michigan, um, if Cincinnati, if, if some of those teams lose, then that's when this starts to get really interesting. And I also think the, the most interesting scenario to me in terms of an argument between, between one team and another is if Georgia wins, so Bama's, Bama's out here, Michigan wins, 
and then we have actually sorry take that back if Alabama beats Georgia then both of them are in right like Alabama's going to be number one Georgia's probably going to be number two if Michigan wins at three let's say Oklahoma State blows out Baylor right they, they dominate them and Cincinnati wins a close game do you think Oklahoma State has a chance to jump Cincinnati even though Cincinnati would still be undefeated because I think I would leave Cincinnati in because they have beaten Notre Dame at, in Notre Dame. That's a really impressive win. Um, I, I think I would leave Cincinnati in personally, but I think that could be a really interesting argument. And I think for a little bit now, we've thought that if Cincinnati wins out, they're going to be in. And I still think that's likely because I don't think Alabama's going to beat Georgia. So I, I think they probably will get in if they win. But is it possible for Oklahoma State to jump them? I mean, it's possible, and I'm not going to say this committee can't do it because the committee is, uh, you know, they, they make some decisions sometimes that I don't understand. But I would say that I think there's no way if Cincinnati wins, they don't get in just because what more can you ask them to do? Like the, the committee has asked them to win and, and forced them to win it all, and then they do that, and you're going to say that's not good enough? And so really, to me, it's all about perception, because if you look at it, <clears throat> you you look at a blind resume, okay? And let's say, we're going to say Bama wins this week. Um, we look at a blind resume here of Oklahoma State and Bama, and they're not, you don't know their conferences, you just look at the schedule, their records, their scores, whatever. Both of them have a three-point loss on the road to a team that they should have beat, and in our reality, they've only lost one game. So what's really the difference there? Well, one, Alabama's Alabama, and they play in the SEC, and Oklahoma State is Oklahoma State, and they play in the Big 12. So it's really hard for me to say Oklahoma State doesn't deserve a shot either if they win, but unfortunately, because they're in the Big 12 and they're Oklahoma State, they're probably not going to get that chance. But I'll, I'll just say I, I don't see a scenario where if Cincinnati beats Houston, they get left out because if, if they do – it's like, what more can a, a non-Power 5 team do? You, you can't ask, you can't ask, you literally cannot ask them to do anything else except maybe win every game by 50. <laughs> I think, the, yeah, that's the one thing is yeah. you Tulsa by eight and you beat Navy by seven. You could have lost the Navy game. Like there's, yeah, that is the one thing where I look at it and say, you didn't do all that you could because those yeah. te- neither of those teams are good. Like those, you should have blown those teams out. And so, do I think Cincinnati's done everything they could? No, but do I think that they should be penalized for a couple of games where they still won? Not not a ton, right? And I don't think Oklahoma State has had the cleanest year either. So I, I don't think this is a one-loss team. Like, if, if Alabama obviously was undefeated and loses to Georgia, then yes, they're in over Cincinnati. That doesn't – like, a, a loss to the number one team, that that's different. But, yeah, I agree. I think Cincinnati should stay in if they win. And really, I think the most interesting thing to follow this weekend will be like if Notre Dame really does have a chance, because basically they need two of these three things that I'm about to list to happen. So they need Alabama to lose. They need Oklahoma State to lose, or sorry, two of these four things. They need Alabama to lose. They need Michigan to lose. They need Cincinnati to lose. They need Oklahoma State to lose. If they can get two of those four things to happen, then I think they can get in. At that point, two of the – five teams that are ahead of them will likely fall behind them. So at that point, maybe there's an argument about a two-loss Alabama versus a one-loss Notre Dame. But I I don't know how you feel about that this year. But to me, this is different than other years for Alabama because 
in other years when they've had losses, they've been a dominant team throughout the year. And so you can look at them and say, look at their resume. Yes, they lost to a good team, but I, I still think they're better. And I don't know if that's the case this year. Like, I, I don't know that I look at Alabama compared to Oklahoma State and say, oh, they're definitely better than them. Like, there might be better than them, but I don't know that they've shown it so far this year. And so I think this game against Georgia really is when and you're not when and you're the number one seed losing you're out because I don't think they've given I don't think they've earned the benefit of the doubt like they maybe have in some other years to do that I don't know if maybe I'm close to the situation I've watched that them play poorly this year so maybe I'm jaded in that but I don't know what you think about that yeah I mean <clears throat> here I mean what we can talk about Bama for a little bit because um I do have a lot, of, a lot of thoughts on them, obviously, but I, I think, like you said, the thing with Bama this year is they don't, they don't scare anybody. And sorry, Bama fans, but they don't. Like if I'm a team that, um, you know, it normally is on the the, in, the outside looking in, and I make the playoff, and I get a chance to play Bama this year, I'm not scared. This is the maybe the one year I want to play Bama. And you know, you talked about Cincinnati not beating these teams convincingly. Um, I could say the same thing about Bama. I mean, and it shows how I'm trying to be unbiased here. You look back at our last, since the Mississippi State game, really, we haven't dominated a team. I mean, the Tennessee game, we did in the second half, but even that game was <clears throat> not as clean as you would want it to be. And then since then, it's been ugly. And I do want to say something, and I didn't do an Iron Bowl recap or anything, but I do want to say that in the Iron Bowl at Auburn with that atmosphere and the way Auburn played, any team would have had trouble. If they, and this is what I want to say to Auburn fans is, man, man, y'all have some excuses for when you lose and when you win. Either way, it's a win-win for Auburn fans. But if y'all would have played like that against Georgia, maybe y'all would have had a chance. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and obviously, they're better than us on um, defense, but defense wasn't the prior, yeah. Uh, offense is Georgia's weakness. So if they would have played like that against Georgia, it'd be a lot different story. So I'm just glad as a Bama fan that we got out of there a lot because Auburn played really well and, and they deserve a lot of credit. But overall, like you're saying, I don't think Bama this year is a dominant team. And the only way I see them getting in if as a two-loss team is if Cincinnati or Oklahoma State loses. Um, that has to be the format formula. And I actually do think if Bama loses to Georgia and it's a close game, they get in over Notre Dame. And I actually think the coaching plays, I, I, I think the coaching actually plays a role in that. Yeah. Because they're, the committee is going to subconsciously have a bias that Brian Kelly left. And they're saying, you know what? He didn't believe in this team. Why would he leave if he thought they could win? So we're going to put Bama in. So if Cincinnati or Oklahoma State loses, um, especially Cincinnati, then I think that Bama will remain in as long as it's a decently close game. Yeah, that's that's the one I can definitely see is the Notre Dame because of the coaching piece and also just because they haven't been super impressive. They just have done what they're supposed to do. I think that is the biggest thing to follow if you're a Bama fan is if Georgia's starting to beat you, change the channel. Go check and see how Cincinnati's doing real quick because that, that may end up deciding whether you get to play Georgia again, which – I don't know that anyone other than Alabama fans really wants to see that happen. I don't think anyone would really want to watch a rematch again. I think people would probably enjoy seeing a different team play Georgia after that, but they're going to put the teams that they think are the four best in. They're not going to worry about that. And really, yeah, I think when you talk about Alabama, it's important to remember how 
good this program has been and how different that Auburn game almost was. Because I think I, I saw something that I, I agreed with. I think you could make an argument if they had lost that game, I think that would have been Saban's worst loss since the Louisiana Lafayette game in 2007. And obviously I'm not like going to have you go through all the losses they've had since then, but like they don't lose to six and 16. Like that just does not happen. And so to have that happen in, in a game towards the end of the season after only beating LSU 20 to 14 and beating Arkansas by seven and I think Arkansas is a good team, but still, I think if you look at that blind resume, you would think, Oh, that looks like Texas A&M or that looks like Ole Miss not Alabama and so if they can I think they've got a block like this LSU got pressure Auburn got pressure like what is Georgia going to do so I think this is going to be a reflection on their ability to coach up this offensive line because Bryce has shown as the years gone on he can deal with pressure and he's been able to run to get out of pressure really really well but if they can't block these guys. Georgia's too athletic. Bryce is going to get hit too many times. Maybe they even have to see Paul Tyson if Bryce gets hit too much. Like, I just, I don't know. I think this, this year is different. And I think if this wasn't, if the name on the helmet was not, if the, if the number did not have the Alabama number on the helmet, I think we would be looking at this team as a, just another team with Oklahoma State, Cincinnati. Um, I don't think this team is special. Yeah. No, I mean, and you're right. <clears throat> I will say though that um, it, it it does come down a little bit just to what has happened this year in the college football landscape, and there is there hasn't been you know we've had in previous years like a good solid group of teams even outside the top four, and if Cincinnati w- loses or Oklahoma State loses then you don't really have that, um, and that's just a product of what's happened. Luckily for Bama, because like you said, not impressive really. The Georgia win, if they beat Georgia, it's just going to cure all. Like that's a cure all. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter at all. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you did to get to this point. That gets you in the playoff. Um, the thing I will say, I guess, about the Auburn game is that Auburn should not be a 6-16. Six and 16. Like, I'm sorry. that They're better than that. And they lost to some team. Like they beat Ole Miss and A&M. Or no, Ole Miss and Arkansas. Sorry. Uh, Could have beat A&M. And so if six and six, they should not be proud of the fact they almost beat Bama because by their record because they should be better than that. But I do agree. It's a two-sided thing. Auburn should be better, and Saban has not coached this team well this year. Now, I'm not by any means on the fire Saban bus. Like I, he's won five national championships in a decade. He's a good coach. But when you look at Alabama's roster and their talent, and then you look at the guys we have out there, and I legitimately – when Jamison Williams went out, I was like, I don't know who we, I don't know who can score. We have all these five stars sitting on our bench, and I don't know if we have a player on the field. And you can say John Mechie, but Mechie is, he is what he is. I did not really know where we were going to go for scoring. And luckily, one of our five star freshmen stepped up, and that's what happened. But it, that's what I think is going to lose us the Georgia game, is I think we're going to keep the game close, and, and we'll, we're going to get up to play. But at the end of the day, I don't think we have enough weapon-wise, blocking-wise. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say we can't win, but it would be a shock to me. Yeah. And that I, can go into our next question is is the last thing we have to talk about is, is you know, with the uh, – even Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, they're not great. So can anybody even beat Georgia besides us? I think, I think yes, but I would still be really surprised. Like, yeah, 
the spread is only six and a half, which I don't understand why it's only six and a half, but they think Bama can keep this within a touchdown. Like, I think there is a path, and it's just Will Anderson has to have an amazing game. They have to make Bennett look like he looked last year against Alabama. And I think it's funny because Georgia's the defensive team, but I think if Alabama wants to win, it has to be lower scoring because I don't really see a way Alabama gets the 30 points in this game. Like, I just – maybe I'm wrong about that, and maybe they, they fix some of their offensive issues – and come out and play a more complete game. But I just don't know against this Georgia defense. I mean, they've given up – the most they've given up all year is 17, and that was to Tennessee. Like, they just don't give up more than that many points. So, I think Alabama's defense, to me, is the X factor in this game because I don't think Georgia's offense is unbeatable. Now, it's funny because I think they're still top three in yards per play, which no one would think of Georgia being that good offensively this year. Like, they're a more complete team than people realize, but – I still see holes in that team with Bennett at quarterback. I, I, I don't think he's that good. So if they can force a couple turnovers, keep the pressure on him, and shut down the run game, which they've done a good job of this year, they're allowing less than three yards per carry. I do think there's a way on defense that they can shut Georgia's offense down, but the offense is just going to have to squeak by in a couple drives. If they're going to they're gonna have to turn their red zone possessions into touchdowns because they're, I don't think they're going to get down there very often. Um, I think there's a path. I think Bama might still have the best chance just because of the – the, the raw talent that they have yeah, on their roster. I'm not sure. Like Michigan, Michigan's awesome, but I don't know if you're going to be able to line it up like you did against Ohio State and just say, we're going to block you. Like, I think Georgia's too athletic for that. And I don't know if Oklahoma State or Cincinnati just has the, the talent. So I think this is the best chance for somebody to beat Georgia. Um, could another team do it? Maybe. I don't Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think – I said this, we kind of hinted at it last episode that we did. I don't think the other three teams that have a chance really to make it to the playoff, and you can throw Notre Dame in there too, actually, because they're the same way. They're all they're all versions of Georgia, and Georgia is going to kill that. Like, I mean, Michigan maybe you could say has a chance, but they're they're all lesser versions of what Georgia does. And so, therefore, I think if Bama is not in the playoff, or, I mean, they're obviously going to get to play them, but... Um, I really don't see a team that can compete with Georgia just because their scheme is not good enough. So the one team I think that had a chance was Ohio State because they didn't have to be great on defense to beat Georgia because Georgia's offense isn't nuclear. And now that they're out, I don't really see another offense besides Alabama's, even though they have a lot of issues, that could give Georgia some problems. And so I'll say, if there was ever a time for Georgia to be vulnerable, it's now. Because like you said... They have not been pushed all year. And they you can say they've played some good teams, but really and truly the East is a weak division. And so they haven't been pushed all year. And if Bama can get them in a close game, then I don't that offense for Georgia hasn't had to prove they can score. And so I, I don't I it give me Stetson Bennett passing the ball. Like I, I when has he shown that he can win you a game with his arm? And so that is the one thing I'm I'm really excited for this game, obviously, because I'm an Alabama fan. But let's see what happens if it's a close game. Because I do think Bama's defense has kinda has kinda gotten um to a point where they're they're decent. <laughs> and if the secondary can hold up enough against Stetson Bennett, then I think we can hold them to a limited amount of points. And really where this game hinges for me is Bama cannot turn the ball over. Bryce Young is going to be sacked. We That's just going to happen. We're going to have some bad possessions because we just don't have the weapons we've had. But if we can limit turnovers 
and then just play good defense. I think, like you said, that this game could be low scoring, and at the end of the game, we could see a similar um, kind of ending to what we had last week, where it's just going to be who can kind of go on a drive and win the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is – it's just so weird to think that a team could go through the whole season and not really be challenged. Like, you, you think at right. some point they have to face adversity. And if there's a year where that doesn't happen, it might be this year because there's I haven't seen anything all year that would make me think any of these teams are on that level. It's funny because, like you mentioned, I still think if I was taking a team to beat Georgia, I'd probably take Ohio State because – at least with them, I think their their offensive line, I think, is a little better than Alabama's, even though we saw what Hutchinson did to their offensive line. I think he might do that to anybody because he he's unreal. Um, those receivers, I think, are the only group of receivers in the country that you can line up and say, we're more talented than your defensive backs. Because Georgia, at every single position on defense, is just extremely talented. And so, at least with that, if Stroud has a great game, those wide receivers win all day. I think maybe you have a chance, but like you mentioned with Alabama, I mean, yeah, Jamison's great. And Mechie is a good possession, short yardage receiver. They use him a lot in the screen game and the underneath stuff. But after that, like, I don't know who is beating Georgia on defense because you're not just going to be able to run slate into the middle of the field and get somebody wide open. Like, I don't think that's going to happen against Georgia. They're just, they're going to man up on you and they're going to say, we're more athletic. So yeah. yeah, I think Bill O'Brien's under a lot of pressure this game to figure out the best way to get his best players the ball, and Jamison's going to need to have a lot of targets. Yeah, and I think, like you said, the the recipe is don't let Georgia get out early because if you allow them to get to, especially if we turn the ball over early uh, and and already lose confidence in the offense, and then they can get the run game going and they can kind of play complementary football. Uh, it's over. And so Bama has to get out to a good start um, and make sure that the game is close where, you know, at least Georgia feels some game pressure. And it'll be interesting to see what Bama does on offense because let me tell you something too. Our best two running backs are 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 hurt. Like, I hate, people may not like this, but Brian Robinson is our third best running back. Like, Roydell Williams and, and Jace McClellan, I think overall were both better and if they would have stayed healthy, especially Jace McClellan, you would have seen them overtake Brian Robinson. And so, our we just our, the horses this year for Alabama are not um, are not elite. I mean, I, besides Jamison Williams and John Mechie, really. So it it's going to be have to be a heroic effort from the defense and from Bryce Young and the offensive line in order for them to even have a chance. To be honest, yeah. And one last note on this game before we move on. Um, one thing to watch, George Pickens actually played a few snaps against Georgia Tech this past week after coming back from an ACL injury. I don't know how much they will immediately throw him in against Alabama. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, if he plays, it might be more of a decoy type thing because like, they're still going to respect his talent. Like, he's a super talented guy. Um, if he can stay on the field, whether that be to off-the-field issues or injuries, um, he is still a big factor for Georgia. I think you may not see him as much in the SEC championship because of the quick turnaround here, trying to get him back integrated into the offense. But come playoff time, he will be a major part of their offense again. Yeah, really good point. And, and you know, what what if Georgia have fans have to be saying, you know, what if we have JT Daniels at full strength? Because the offense could look even better. But, uh, you know, we'll never know. The last thing I'll say, and and we're talking about the NBA here in a minute, where the Warriors are doing well, and 
and Draymond had the quote, you know, don't let us win a championship. But, you know, don't let Bama win this year, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you don't win this year and beat Alabama with the way our, we're constructed, the way they're constructed, I don't know when you're going to beat us. And so um, it Georgia, ha- even though Bama, it's like Bama has to win to get in the playoff, Georgia has to win this game because they might get a chance at us again in the playoff to get revenge. But if you're not going to beat us this year, then it's a shame. I mean, you it's Georgia has done a really good job of putting themselves in a position to where there should be no there should be no doubt who the better team is at, at the at the end of this game. And that's coming from a Bama fan. So, uh it'll be interesting to see if if they go and really take care of business in, in my opinion. All right. So that's going to end our college football uh talk. We did did a lot longer than I expected, but it's just really interesting both with the coaching and with what's going on in the playoff. Uh, and so we're, we're going to take a quick break really quickly and we're going to come back and switch a little bit uh, of gears talking about the NBA and what me and Sully have seen early on. <laughs> 